CCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the Internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk. And we thank you for joining us today here on Crosstalk, coming your way from the VCY American Network. Ladies and gentlemen, it was December 7th, the Wednesday, 2022, that Senator Ron Johnson hosted a symposium entitled COVID-19 Vaccines, What They Are, How They Work, and Possible Causes of Injuries. Well, those that participated in this roundtable discussion included numerous experts and medical professionals who uh, discussed the background of the uh, coronavirus, uh, functionality of the vaccine, failures in the pandemic response, our early treatment drugs, adverse reactions, vaccine injuries, and plans for the future research and response. And one of those participants in the symposium is with us today. We welcome back to Crosstalk Dr. Peter McAuliffe. He is an internist, uh, uh, cardiologist, epidemiologist. Epidemiologist managing the cardiovascular complications of both the viral infection and injuries developing after the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, since the outset of the pandemic, he's been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster and published uh, the pathophysiological basis and rationale for early outpatient treatment of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Uh, that was the first synthesis of sequenced multidrug treatment of ambulatory patients infected with COVID-19 in the American Journal of Medicine. He has near some 700 scientific publications to his credit, numerous peer-reviewed publications on the infection, and uh, has commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis. He's testified before legislative bodies, both on the federal and state legislative bodies, uh, the chief medical advisor for the Truth for Health Foundation, and considered a among the world's experts on COVID-19. And uh, doctor, I could go on and on with your bio here, but it's well accomplished and we thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks. Great to be on the show. Uh, Doctor, you were part of the symposium. Uh, You participated with many other medical leaders. The message of this symposium, largely ignored by the major media of the country, ignored by major medical groups. Why do you believe there was such, such a news and medical blackout on information coming forth from events such as what Senator Johnson had hosted? Well, the Senate um, proceedings are very important. This has now been in a series of U.S. Senate panels. It's all in the Senate record, the National Archives. It was featured on primetime TV, Fox News, Laura Ingram, multiple shows. So we're glad to see it get the press coverage that it did. And Americans have gotten a message. Boy, I can tell you now the rates of anybody taking a vaccine or a booster are very low in the United States. And I think, fortunately, the safety messages have gotten out. Yeah. Uh, You've previously indicated that the COVID-19 vaccines, as they exist, are not sufficiently safe and not sufficiently effective for use in human population. Uh, Tell us your concern. It's true. The vaccines uh, should be pulled off the market. That was the conclusion of our December 7th, 2022 deliberations in the Senate. Within two days, Andrew Brigden a uh, member of parliament in the UK concluded the same thing. They had a call to remove all the vaccines off the market in the UK. Christine Anderson in Germany, EU parliament, same call. And then also um, Malcolm Roberts in Australia and across India, there's calls to remove the vaccine. So worldwide, the conclusion is the vaccines aren't safe. Uh, it's now proven the vaccines cause heart damage, myocarditis, that cause blood clots, neurologic damage. Uh, they result in immediate death and then death by the mechanisms of uh, blood clots and heart damage uh, in large numbers of individuals who take them. So because of that, it's clear the vaccines have exceeded all boundaries of safety and should be removed from the market. Well, uh, as you know, you've been declared by some to be an anti-vaccine extremist. Would that be a proper characteristic of yourself? Never been declared that. I've never had anybody of any medical standing make any commentary. No I, think, chief of medicine I or, think it's been some no, news media. Yeah, no, no, no chief of medicine, no chief of infectious disease. No one of any medical authority has ever um, has ever questioned a single analysis that I've done. So I assume they're in silent agreement. I think that's probably the best way to characterize mm. most doctors. Is it true that the vaccinated are now accounting for majority of the COVID deaths? That's true. That's been the case in Canada, the EU, Australia, uh, as well as South Africa for quite some time. Uh, in the United States, uh, now the data uh, more are, who are fully vaccinated are hospitalized than those who died. It's very rare now. 
someone gets hospitalized or die with COVID. But the vaccines have failed. They don't stop COVID-19 hospitalization and death. So it makes sense. The majority of Americans have taken the vaccine. They're going to be in the majority of casualties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Fauci, uh, he was deposed recently and said uh, the real danger is in the people who have not been vaccinated. Any comment on that statement or his recent deposition? He's not considering the safety of Americans. I think that's the greatest concern. With any new product of vaccines, we're very concerned about safety. And if it's not safe, it doesn't matter how good, theoretically, the vaccines are. They're they're simply not going to be used. And so the vaccines are not sufficiently safe to be used. Uh, and he's not considering safety. In fact, I don't think the word safety had come out of his mouth in that, that, that deposition. And yet he's received such a prominent position. I understand even over the weekend that uh, uh, former Vice President Mike Pence just really applauded his efforts. It, his failure, I think, as an administrative doctor, is they didn't call in experts to manage the pandemic as they were doing in the community. We needed teams of doctors on reducing the spread of the illness, on early treatment, late treatment, and on COVID-19 vaccination. That was my testimony in the U.S. Senate in November 2020. I presented the four pillars of pandemic response. That was the format of the Senate proceedings, uh, January 23rd, 2022. Um, Fauci, Walensky, Ja, Murthy, they've all been invited to all of these uh, sessions to learn from the experts, and they have failed to show up every time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in regard to these sessions, I, I was talking to a medical doctor and and uh, saying, he asked, where'd you get this information from? And I mentioned one of Ron Johnson's events. And he said, well, you know, that th- those were very biased. And 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 I think that's a very important point, Dr. McCullough, is that, you know, the, the heads of uh, Pfizer, Moderna, the FDA, a doctor, uh, various other individuals have been invited to be participants in this, but they never show and, the, and those heads of those companies, they're the ones that have the bias. So they have financial interests. Uh, we know that uh, Fauci, Walensky, uh, the CDC, NIH, FDA, they have biases since they're sponsoring the vaccine program. So the bias is not among the doctors who are concerned about safety. The bias is, about, is, is among those who are promoting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you believe that the vaccine adverse events reporting system has, has been reliable as it relates to the COVID shot? Does it properly echo the concern? It's reliable in terms of what's in there. Now, it's a underreporting of what's happening. What we know from the CDC VAERS system is that 86% of the time the forms are completed by a doctor, a nurse, a paramedic, a medical professional is concerned the vaccine caused the problem. Uh, as of uh, December 9th, 2022, their system has 15,732 Americans who have died shortly after taking the vaccine. Hmm. Uh, 22% died within 96 hours. So that number is accurate. 15,000 Americans losing their lives after taking one of the vaccines is completely unacceptable. With any other product, 5, 10, 15, no more than 50 deaths, it would have been off the market. So, yes, yeah, so theirs is reliable, but it's, a, it's an underreporting of a terrible number. Uh, Dr. McAuliffe, you have indicated that the mRNA vaccines may be changing the human genome. Could you flesh that out for us? How could this be occurring? I was concerned from a report by Alden and colleagues, senior investigator Yang D. Marinis in in Malmo, Sweden. This this report, by the way, has not been discredited. They were able to show integration of Pfizer, the genetic code for Pfizer, into the chromosomes of the human hepatoma cell line within about six hours. And almost certainly uh, the entire code is transcribed into the human genome. Whether it's, whether it's physically altering the human genome or it's inside the nucleus, it's still bad news because that means it's going to be passed down from parent cells to daughter cells, from sperm and egg into the baby. Uh, this is terrible news for anybody who's taken one of these vaccines. Okay, so can a newborn baby then, uh, uh, what impact would a vaccinated mother have upon her newborn? Two, two, twofold. Uh, the mother is likely to pass on the genetic code for Pfizer and Moderna into the baby. We don't know about Johnson & Johnson, and certainly Novavax doesn't have any genetic code, but Pfizer and Moderna are the concerning ones. It looks like a mother would pass that on to the baby uh, within, you know, systemically within the cells. And then the other is a disturbing report from Hannah and colleagues published in JAMA, where for sure the messenger RNA, Pfizer and Moderna, is getting into the breast milk going right into the baby's GI tract. Mm-hmm. None of this is good for the babies. Babies under 
six months, uh, the, the organs are forming. We should never have foreign genetic code for a lethal protein that was engineered in a Chinese biosecurity lab in, in the you know in the bodies of small American babies. That's a, a terrible thought. Okay. Talk more about that foreign genetic code that you just mentioned. Well, Pfizer and Moderna contain the genetic code for the foreign spike protein. That spike protein was engineered with U.S. research from UNC, Chapel Hill, Harvard, and the Swiss Institute. The work was gain-of-function research, so it was offshored to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Biosecurity Lab Annex 4, and uh, that's where the spike protein was intentionally made more invasive, more lethal. UNC published this in their publications in 2015. Menacheri was the first author. Nature Communications and Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The genetic code for this lethal protein is now in the bodies of hundreds of millions of Americans. And this is a very disturbing thought. It looks like it doesn't get out of the body. A paper from Wilkin and colleagues shows that it's durable, two months in lymph nodes not being digested. Vertig and colleagues have shown it's circulatory for 15 days and the curves weren't going down. Uh, there's no study that shows that Pfizer and Moderna actually gets out of the body at this point in time. It looks like it's permanent. Dr. Peter McAuliffe with us today, an internist, cardiologist, epidemiologist, and and uh, discussing here the COVID shot and uh, the matters that are a part of the shot. Uh, aside from, from being passed on through breast milk, can the vaccinated impact the unvaccinated negatively? You know, that would be the major concern would be breast milk. There's a paper by Helene Hanoon, former interim scientist, published in the peer-reviewed literature about shedding. And the idea is if it's in breast milk, almost certainly it's in uh, secretions, saliva, urogenital secretions, uh, in that it's certainly possible people could be passing it to each other with close contact, kissing, sexual contact. Uh, that has not been proven at this point in time, but it's a great concern. About 13% of Americans did not take the vaccine, but most of them did not take it for a reason, and they wouldn't want to acquire the foreign genetic material through uh, shedding contact. So, uh, in general, people are staying clear. Vaccinated are staying clear from uh, unvaccinated and vice versa. Okay. So, has there been any cases that we know of as of yet where through uh, sneezes, coughs, uh, you know, the expulsional fluids that somebody has has uh, been impacted negatively from uh, an unvaccinated person by a vaccinated person? Not in the published literature. Okay. Um, is something like that forthcoming, or, or it's, it's just no evidence of that happening? At this point in time, I'd say no evidence of it happening. You know, we're two years into the vaccine program. The medical literature is vast. I would have expected by now there would have been documentation of adverse things happening. And it just hasn't come forward. We're going to take a quick break here today. Dr. Peter McAuliffe is with us on Crosstalk. And friends, we're talking about the impact of the COVID shot, COVID itself we're talking about. And uh, after the break, we're going to get into the area of blood clotting. What is taking place that is that is causing this and uh, matters that are taking place with even athletes around the world? Why is it happening? Why suddenly dropping dead? Back in a minute, you're listening to Crosstalk. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, president of the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, the age-old question, is it true that man evolved from the apes? No, it is not, Chris. Humans were created separately. The animals, including the apes, were created after their kind, but humans were created in the image of God. Man is not related to the animals. But according to evolution, we are descended from the animals. It used to be thought that a rodent, a rat-like animal, was the common ancestor of all the mammals, but a recent study showed that the closest living relative of the common ancestor is the aardvark. How about that? We came from an aardvark. Chris, isn't it about time we recognize the evolutionary view as abject foolishness? Isn't it time we go back to Genesis and get it right? To learn more about creation, get our free DVD called That's a Fact. Visit our web store at icr.org store and use the promo code FACT at the checkout when ordering your That's a Fact DVD. Tuned to Crosstalk on VCY America. Dr. Peter McAuliffe is with us here today, and uh, he's a, just a world-renowned cardiologist. Uh, his his uh, studies, his expertise, his uh, certainly his research that has gone into uh, 
uh, not only COVID, but uh, uh, in, in the, its impact, its effect, the uh, effect of vaccination, uh, the shot, and, and uh, so much has uh, been uh, well-documented. He's testified before federal and uh, statewide uh, legislative bodies and uh, sharing with us here today, uh, you know, based upon his research, his knowledge, his understanding of this, uh, uh, the, both the uh, the shot, the adverse effects taking place. And uh, Dr. McCullough, I know that uh, the, the link between the COVID shot and blood clotting has been raised by by many, and I'd like you to comment on this. We've seen interviews with even morticians that have spoken of unusual clotting. We've seen numerous testimony or stories from around the world of young athletes dying suddenly when they've been in excellent physical health and discovered to have these blood clots. Tell us what's going on. Uh, early on in the vaccine development program, both AstraZeneca and Johnson and Johnson were identified as causing blood clots in some serious places, one in the cavernous venous sinus and central sinus of uh, women, uh, younger women age 18 to 49. In fact, uh, the vaccines had strict warnings on use in that group. And then over the course of time, blood clots were found with Pfizer and Moderna. Clinically, it was published in multiple peer-reviewed papers, deep venous thrombosis, pulmonary embolism, arterial emboli syndromes, uh, portal venous uh, thrombosis in the abdomen. Virtually every vein in the body could be clogged uh, with the spike protein produced by these vaccines. Finally, the FDA, very slow to act, just put a warning on Pfizer causing blood clots. Uh, what we know is that the blood clots are due to the spike protein. The vaccines are the genetic code for the spike protein. The spike protein itself damages blood vessels and directly stimulates blood clot formation. The spike protein folds and is called, considered amyloidogenic and forms like a rubbery substance. The spike protein is physically in the blood clots, and, and the spike protein can cause large blood clots in individuals who are alive, and then once the body is deceased, blood clotting can form post-mortem. And some of the blood clots removed by morticians are alarmingly big. Uh, they're rubbery. They form casts on inside the blood vessels. Uh, but this can happen after SARS-CoV-2 infection, after vaccine in both. And since the vaccines don't work and they don't stop the infection, many patients have actually had the vaccines and they've had COVID, so they've had multiple exposures to the spike protein are in a very high risk for blood clotting. And yet it depends, you know, it doesn't matter who the individual is, the high-profile individual from the president to the head of this cabinet agency to others that uh, that have uh, said when they get COVID, well, I'm thankful that I've had the shot because, it would, I, you know, it's less severe than had I not had the shot. And, uh, the, you know, the PR pitch continues even in these cases. Yeah, that, that they should actually just review the consent form. The current consent form was most recently updated at the end of August of 2022. The consent form only says that the vaccines in prior studies have reduced the rates of COVID, period. doesn't say that the current vaccines reduce the rate of COVID, and the consent forms have never said the vaccines reduce transmission or make the, the illness less severe because they don't. So it's very important. What's on the consent form is exactly what the vaccines do in the past, in the clinical trials, they reduce rates of COVID. There are no studies now, based on the current versions, that the vaccines reduce COVID, stop transmission, and no study, no randomized trial has ever shown vaccination reduces the rates of hospitalization death as a primary secondary endpoint. All of that is hopeful or wishful thinking, but it, it, they shouldn't say it in public because that's a form of false promotion hmm. or false advertising, and that's illegal. There are still commercials that say, uh, take a vaccine to protect your loved ones. Well, our CDC director says the vaccines don't reduce transmission, so that's false advertising. That's illegal. In the state of Kansas, they pulled all the vaccine ads off the market. The state of Florida, they're doing grand jury investigation. I think they probably will conclude that there's illegal promotion and marketing of the vaccines. Uh, Dr. McAuliffe, there's there's been growing concern on the part of individuals who have needed a blood transfusion that they don't want a blood donation from someone who's received the COVID shot. We saw the situation, I believe it was a four-month-old in uh, New Zealand uh, here recently or Australia, that, that, that the court actually took custody of the child uh, that needed heart surgery because the parents did not want to have COVID shot-tainted blood, uh, you know, to be used in the transfusion. Is this a legitimate concern on the part of individuals? 
at this point in time, there's never been a transfusion-related complication that's been completely linked to vaccinated person donating blood. The concerns were raised by a group of pathologists and myself early in 2021 to the American Red Cross, American Association of Clinical um, Blood Banking, Carter Blood Center. None of the uh, blood centers took any action. At this point in time, the seroprevalence is so high, I think spike protein concerns are covered. Um, I understand people not wanting to get uh, infused messenger RNA from a, uh, a vaccinated donor, but blood banking is so complex that there are major minor antigens. Even a family member to family member donation in most cases is not possible. Um, I, I think there's just nothing we can do about the blood supply. If someone critically needs a transfusion, they should take it. Hmm. We're learning of an escalation of people dying in their sleep, and I, I'm speaking even of young people. Is there a connection between this and the shot? There is. A recent paper by Schwab and colleagues looked at, uh, in, from Heidelberg, Germany, looked at patients who died at home, found dead at home after the vaccine within 20 days of taking it. And shockingly, 71% of people had a cause of death directly due to the vaccine. One of the leading causes is heart damage. The vaccines are now known, uh, all of them, to cause heart damage, a small scar in the heart. About half the time, the patient doesn't feel anything, and they're set up for a risk weeks to months uh, afterwards of suddenly dying, typically uh, from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning or during sports activities. And what triggers it is adrenaline. So adrenaline and then the vaccine-induced scar in the heart causes the sudden fatal heart rhythm. And we've seen athlete after athlete, prominent person after prominent person, die of COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis and sudden death. So it seems like those that are uh, one would consider more medically healthy and, and have been conscientious about exercise and, and, and development, they're almost at greater risk? They are, and we're greatly concerned about the athletes. Remember, they have no uh, clinical indication, no medical necessity. They should not be taking vaccines at all. Uh, in fact, they are taking vaccines, and we've seen scores of young people die while jogging on the athletic playing field. Uh, one after another. And what's been said is that it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. Now, if the family members come out and say they didn't take the vaccine, uh, we can rest assured it's not implicated. But when the family members are, sh are shameful and they're silent, uh, we know that they've taken the, this person's taken the vaccine and, in fact, the vaccine has taken their life. And wow. It's sad. We've seen it prominent person after prominent person now. So uh, Dr. S.C. Malhotra, a prominent U.K. cardiologist myself, did a mini-documentary is called Until Proven Otherwise, meaning that unless the families come out and clear it up, we will assume they took the vaccine. You know, recently, uh, Flash Dead singer Irene Kara, who tweeted out she's taking the vaccine, found dead at home. Uh, that's just a classic example. Uh, Emily um, Kasten, daughter of uh, Democratic Congressman Sean Kasten, same thing, found dead in her bed, perfectly healthy girl. And he comes out and she says that she died of a fatal arrhythmia. It is the vaccine. That's the cause. My, my. Uh, doctor, we're also seeing a, a greater push for giving infants the shot. It seems like the EUAs are being given out like candy uh, since COVID came about. What is your concern? Of, what would you share with parents that are debating whether or not they should take this? Because their their parents are being told that, that this is for their child's well-being, for their future, how you can protect your children. Every parent wants to protect their children. What would you say to parents? COVID-19 in a small infant is not a serious medical concern. Most infants don't even know they have COVID, uh, and they don't, uh, the vaccines don't stop transmission, so we shouldn't use them as human shields. There have been small children who have died after COVID-19 vaccination or developed uh, blood disorders, uh, so they're not safe enough to use in children, and uh, no parent should receive any pressure to receive a vaccine. Do you know in 2021, uh, the White House and HHS started a multi-billion dollar promotional program called COVID Community Corps. And they actually sent money without any budgeting reconciliation to the American Association of Pediatrics and all the pediatric medical societies. So in a sense, the doctors have been bribed to promote the COVID vaccines in children. That's wrong. Now, we are told that, that uh, they have approved the actual vaccine, but are they still not being given the drug under the EUA? No, it's all given under the EUA. And people know this because they're provided free. Remember, EUA means free. Uh, when they're fully approved, then patients will have to buy them or insurance companies will have to buy them. 
so they'll no longer be free. So they're under EUA, the consent form indicates they're under emergency use authorized. So that, that tells the parents that they're not FDA approved. And uh, in fact, there's no package insert uh, outlining all the ingredients of the vaccine or the risks and benefits. So no, they're still EUA, they're still experimental, investigational, and no one should feel any pressure to take them. Yeah, but yet we are seeing people threatened with their jobs. People have lost their jobs as a result. We see what's going on in the military, even though the the most recent uh, defense budget, we saw the mandate uh, pulled from this, yet there are many who will never be reinstated uh, due to this. But there are many who have lost their livelihoods for refusing to take something that's only available under the EUA. Well, there's letters uh, gone from Congress, the Senate, and actually joint letters to Lloyd Austin, uh, demanding that the vaccines be, uh, mandates be dropped and that all the military members be reinstated with mm-hmm. back pay. So the military is getting a lot of pressure from the House and the Senate to uh, to drop these ill-advised mandates and, and restore people. Uh, doctor, also, there are many people who have taken the, the first shot and had hesitance about taking further shots after that, or uh, some are somewhere in there, uh, you know, not taking all the boosters, etc. Can can this effect ever be reversed? Is it a person at greater risk if the more shots they get? How, how does that work? Uh, can they ever mitigate that which they've had enter their system? Yes, it looks like the more shots someone takes, the greater overall risk they have. That looks uh, solid. Uh, it looks like taking shots and getting COVID and taking more shots increases the risk. I think that's pretty solid. Uh, it looks like there's no way of getting this out of the body. I think that's concerning. And uh, I can tell you in clinical practice, I've seen people develop life-threatening blood clots about 18 months after taking the shots. That's a pretty long period of time. Uh, anybody who has predisposing factors is at higher risk. So let's take somebody who has a blood clotting disorder or a family history of blood clots, like Deion Sanders, famous football player. He develops arterial blood clots after the vaccines where they have to amputate his toes. Uh, I've seen a young individuals have their entire leg amputated with that type of scenario after the vaccine. We know that people who have uh, hip surgery, knee surgery, have to put their ankle in, a, in an ankle boot after a sprain that puts them at higher risk of blood clots. Uh, Taking oral estrogen, smoking, long plane rides, they increase the risk of blood clots. So uh, it's very important if someone's already at risk, increased risk of blood clots, watch out if they keep taking the vaccines. We saw this with Al Roker, famous weatherman. He takes three or four shots, gets COVID, gets blood clots, life-threatening, hospitalized, gets home, has more blood clots, re-hospitalized. I mean, he's in deep trouble because of the COVID-19 vaccines and getting superimposed COVID. We saw this with a sportscaster, Herb Kirkstreet. He's my favorite ESPN sportscaster. He takes, he gets COVID, then he takes shots after getting COVID, which he should never do, three or four shots, and then Herb Kirkstreet gets blood clots, shoots to the lungs. He can't go to the, uh, you know, to the draft and other events. Uh, Bruce Arians is another example, former coach of the Bucks takes multiple shots, ends up with myocarditis, hospitalized. And the list goes on and on. My, my. Friends, we're up against a break. Uh, Dr. Peter McCullough is our guest here today. And if you'd like to speak with Dr. McCullough, if you've got a question you'd like to ask, a brief comment, our number to Crosstalk is 800-733-9829. 800-733-9829. We'll be right back. High in the Swiss Alps, Lucian, a lonely, frightened 13-year-old, is overtaken by catastrophic events as he causes little Danny to fall off of a cliff. Lucian finds himself an outcast with his family, his school friends, and especially the very hostile Annette, the sister of Danny. Danny, I've told you not to talk to Lucian. He'll only hurt you again. Bitterness and anger set in. As Lucian finds solitude in the nearby woods, he comes across a woodcarver who helps him find the peace he was looking for that not only changes his life, but that of others as well. You may be able to run away from the village, but you can't run away from yourself. Treasures of the Snow quickly captures the heart. It's a story of friendship, forgiveness, and redemption. Treasures of the Snow is available on DVD for a donation of $16 or more by calling VCY America at 1-800-729-9829. That's 1-800-729-9829.
You're tuned to Crosstalk on VCY America. Dr. Peter McCullough is our guest today, a cardiologist and uh, epidemiologist, internist, and uh, talking about matters pertaining to uh, the COVID shot. Um, his website is PeterMcCulloughMD.com, PeterMcCulloughMD.com, and uh, you can uh, learn more information there through his site as well. Uh, doctor, are you finding that there are cardiologists who are changing their mind on the shot, those who backed it before but are now in opposition? Uh, you know, I think more and more people are beginning to change their minds. Um, and uh, uh, the bottom line is uh, everyone should be free to respond to the data as it emerges uh, over time. And uh, no one should be locked into this. The vaccines don't work, and they don't last very long. So people are asked to take them every couple months. So there's, it's, it comes up relatively quickly to opt out of taking any more vaccines. So, um, you know, for that reason, a large number of Americans should, took shot one, shot two, started to see the safety data emerge, blood clots, heart damage, death, and they said, forget it, they're not taking any more. Currently, the number of Americans who are taking any more shots in the booster program is approximately 14% by the CDC COVID tracker number. The Kaiser Family Foundation has a survey out. They have that number at about 16%. Uh, that means the vast majority of people are done taking these shots. Hmm. Um, and yet we see, you know, on the worldwide scene, the, the continued talk about, uh, the you know, vaccine-type passports, uh do you see that coming about on a worldwide basis, whether through the WHO or through other entities, or, or do you think that is really going to be a thing of the past? I, I think the vaccine passports are a thing of the past and a bad idea. They have to have a vaccine that works and that's long-lasting and safe, and people would have to take it to have a vaccine passport. Mm-hmm. So in the United States, that means that 87% of people are not eligible for a vaccine passport. It's not much of a passport. Yeah. And uh, one other aspect here, and our lines are packed, uh, what are your recommendations regarding early intervention? And and uh, coupled with that, why are we seeing such a battle against ivermectin? The early intervention, and now the first question I ask is, is it the first case of COVID or the second or third case? Most people have already had it. So now they're on their second or third episode. The second and third episodes are much milder than the first one. Recent paper by Chen and colleagues in the Journal of Medicine, October of 2022, shows in, in 59,000 prisoners, 17,000 staff, they released really high-quality data, negligible risk of hospitalization and death with the second episode. Second episode is like a common cold, just over-the-counter uh, treatment is needed. Uh, we feature virucidal nasal washes, dilute povidone, iodine, dilute hydrogen peroxide, gargles, Listerine or scope, works fine, start early, over-the-counter nutraceuticals and supplements, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, and then using famotidine over-the-counter and antihistamine uh, antacid, 80 milligrams a day. That's called the McCullough Protocol. If you go to PeterMcCulloughMD.com, you can uh, see the McCullough Protocol, download it. And then we move on to other drugs, as you mentioned, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, peclovid, momopiravir, uh, oral aspirin, oral steroids, colchicine, um, sometimes antibiotics, sometimes anticoagulants. That's up to the doctor to decide. Uh, but for most second or third cases, no prescription drugs are needed at all. PeterMcCulloughMD.com. And that uh, uh, early intervention, that that protocol, you said you'll find it prominent on your site? It is. It's prominent on the site. You can find the full treatment guides at truthforhealth.org uh, and aapsonline.org. It's trademarked the McCullough Protocol, but many contributed to the development of it. It's uh, impacted, uh, I think, greatly worldwide, probably have spared hundreds of millions of hospitalizations, saved many tens of millions of lives. Let's go to the phone lines here today. Dr. Peter McCullough, our guest. Michael is calling in from Texas. Hi, Michael. You're on the air. Yes, sir. I wanted to ask the doctor if the if there's MRC5 is in any of those shots. I'm unfamiliar with that. Well, that's a aborted fetus of a male that's six weeks old. No, I'm unfamiliar with it. The, the, the immortal cell lines were used in the development of monoclonal antibodies and vaccines, but that's way upstream in the development process. Okay. So it, it's not listed in any of the known ingredients in the vaccines. Thank you, Michael. Let's go to Roger next. Bridgeport, West Virginia, you're on the air. 
Hey, guys. Thank you so much for uh, taking my call. I have a statement, and then I have a question for Dr. Peter. First, I want to say praise God for this radio station. And, Dr. Peter, I want to say uh, praise God for you and your courage and everything you're doing for humanity. And God is watching closely. And uh, my, uh, my question was, my mother had gotten one shot, and then she went back and got another shot, I guess, to follow-up booster. And she has always been mentally stable, really strong mentally. And after she had gotten that second shot, she started getting terribly forgetful. She's forgetting everything. It seems like mostly short-term to me, but I'm not for sure. And it's really bad now. <coughs> and so my question to you, uh, Dr. McCullough, is do you think that this will clear itself out of her system? Do you think there's uh, this will reverse itself mentally? Okay, thank you for the question. You know, there's published uh, case reports, one by Boris and colleagues, showing that uh, the vaccine does get into the brain, cause damage, can cause mental decline. Um, I have a sub-stack out today showing paper in JAMA, showing an elderly that the vaccine can uh, reduce hearing. We've previously shown the vaccine can cause blindness. Because the vaccine doesn't stay in the arm, it's distributed anywhere in the body <coughs> where it can cause injury and damage. Um, but it's been my observation with these uh, cognitive changes that's been described that they can clear up over time and she can improve. So I'm hopeful she can improve, and thanks so much for your comment. Thank you for the call here. Let's go to Dominique in McQuanago, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Peter McCullough, for everything you're doing to save lives. I'm so grateful. Um, I watched the roundtables and um, currently watching an interview with you and Dr. Seema Holtra. Um, and I want to get your book for Christmas, and I heard it written from a criminal perspective, and I have a concern and a question to ask you. Um, my concern is that as we um, look to not only have these, um, quote-unquote, vaccine-injured, um, seen, heard, believed, and then cared for, um, for their various injuries, um, my concern is that the criminals actually pay for this and not the American taxpayer to the third and fourth generation. And then my, and I was wondering if you had any um, focus that you could kind of direct um, with your influence and everything towards the correct people paying for this crime. And then second, my, um, my question is, Dr. Ryan Cole has been showing these, um, these fibrous um, white uh, protein structures that are being pulled out of the veins and arteries that um, were starting to be referred to at the beginning of the program. And I was wondering, um, he said he is able to, they, they have been able to pull them out of the living. And that was just such great news to me that there are people's lives that can be saved before they get so big that they actually cause a deadly you know, heart attack or stroke. And I was wondering, how would someone determine if they had those growing in them, if they had gotten a shot, would it be an ultrasound? Would it be thermography? So if you could speak to those two things, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, quickly, uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida has announced grand jury activities uh, against these major uh, crimes that have gone on. It's been described crimes of, you know, illegal promotion, advertising, uh, you know, uncompensated vaccine injury victims. What's being suggested is uh, in this question is something like the great tobacco settlement that, remember, the tobacco companies made all the profits from selling cigarettes that in, they had to pay for, you know, lung cancer research. Uh, the same thing is, is probably true for the vaccines that Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson, Novavax have made so much pre-purchase revenue from the U.S. government. They should turn around and, and donate that to research to start uh, taking care of the patients who are vaccine injured. Regarding the blood clots, they can form uh, inside a person <laughs> and they can be large. They are detected by ultrasound. Uh, large ones are almost always symptomatic. I can tell you in my practice in the last two weeks, I had a patient develop a 14-inch blood clot, but it wasn't with the vaccine. It was actually after having two bouts of COVID. So remember, the virus itself and the vaccine can cause these big blood clots. Uh, it is clinically driven in terms of detection. We use ultrasound. Patients do need full-dose blood thinners and expect a long duration of blood thinners, my experience, over a year. Dominique, thanks for the call. We've got many waiting. Eric is next in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. You're on the air. Uh, yes. Hi, Jim. Thank you. And uh, Dr. McCullough, what an honor to speak with you. Uh, my questions involve, like, somewhat preventative, like having hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin on hand. 
I know that a lot of doctors, including my own, I just had a physical, an annual physical checkup in October. I flat out asked my doctor, whom I've seen for years, known for years, if he could prescribe that to me. He said, nope, I absolutely cannot. I asked him why, and of course the answer was the facility that he works for won't allow it. But I know that there are sources where we can get those, which I actually did get about a year ago, um, some hydroxychloroquine, because it was cheaper for me to get than the ivermectin. Mm-hmm. So one thing I wonder about is, is one of those two preferred over the other? In other words, is ivermectin perhaps more effective than hydroxychloroquine, or are they both about the same? And then along those lines, um, would they be helpful and good to have on hand for the quote-unquote next pandemic uh, or would it only be if it's a similar type of coronavirus or whatever? Because I've heard Brandon House talking okay. about... Tell you what, you've got a couple good questions there. Let me have Dr. Uh, respond to those. Uh, quickly, for prevention right now, I'm not recommending either hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin for a prophylactic protocol. I think the nasal washes with dilute providone, iodine, dilute hydrogen peroxide are so good. If you do them well, you don't need to take any drugs systemically because the virus is so mild. I think hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are useful in the acute treatment of COVID-19. And you're right, they're available over-the-counter in many countries. So, you know, purchasing it over-the-counter in other countries uh, is perfectly fine to do that on hand. Um, I I agree with your doctor. Um, Doctors cannot prescribe drugs for patients to stockpile ahead of time. Uh, It goes against good clinical practice. The medical boards are reviewing doctors who do it, uh, threatening their license. Um, and, I, and I don't think any patient should ask their doctor to prescribe drugs so they can stockpile them. I think if patients want to buy drugs over the counter in the United States or outside of the United States, it's certainly within their purview to do that. Okay, thanks for the questions. Uh, Mary is next. Mary, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Thank you for taking my call. I have not been uh, vaccinated myself but I work at the schools, and I'm, I'm constantly um, subjected to the sicknesses that go around the uh, children. And I'm just and I'm sick right now. I got sick, but I'm coming out of it. But it's been a week. And I'm just wondering about the shedding. Is there anything to that? And if so, how can we um, prevent that or protect ourselves? Thank you. There hasn't been a literature that's developed on shedding. It's, it's a common public concern. There's about 13% of people who have not taken any vaccine. So you're, you're in a small group, of which I didn't take it either. I don't, I've never thought they were safe or a good idea. But um, at this point in time, no, I, I think a lot of us just have had recurrent colds and infections, myself included, just with you know the prevailing viruses that are in the environment. Okay, thank you for the call. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, come back to our final segment here as well. We'll take more of your calls. Our number 800-733-9829. The website for our guest, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. And you'll find more information there. Also, our, our write-up for today's program on CrosstalkAmerica.com. We'll have a link to that site as well. We'll be back in one minute. This is Crosstalk on VCY America. For the Worldview Report, I'm Brandon House. Our website is worldviewreport.com. I was recently interviewing my longtime friend, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, and I was quoting to him his own words from his own book, Hitler's Cross. In this book, Dr. Lutzer documents historically how the head of the SS, Himmler, wanted his troops to be involved in, well, incredible debauchery and crimes and cruelty so that he could accomplish a couple things. One was to sever their conscience. Another was to make them break away from their old values and that of their faith and their family and to alienate them from their family and friends so they would now bond with this new group of people that had also carried out these horrific acts. My friends, how is that any less the psychological op going on with our children today where we sexualize children in our schools with, well, stuff we couldn't even read on the air? to encourage them to be involved in behavior that will accomplish the same thing as Himmler thought to do with his SS troops.
Dr. Peter McCullough with us here today on Crosstalk. And, uh, Doctor, the lines are staying packed here. And you and I were just commenting during the break. Uh, people are looking for answers. I mean, there's so many questions that are out there. We're told one thing the next day that's wrong, and they've got something else. We see stifled opinion that has happened through social media sites. Uh, people do want answers here in times like these. No doubt about it. And I'm back on Twitter. I try to answer questions in an organized way on America Out Loud Talk Radio McCullough Reports. So uh, I take questions through the week. People listen to my podcast Saturday and Sunday, and then the questions are answered Wednesdays in the afternoon with Malcolm Out Loud. So, again, uh, more information at PeterMcCulloughMD.com. Uh, let's go to uh, Janice is next. Hi, Janice. You're on the air. Janice, are you, yes, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Oh, hi, this is Janine. Oh, Janine, I'm sorry. No problem. Hi, Jim. Uh, hi, Dr. McCullough. I have a question. I believe it was you that recommended the betadine solution. And if you could go over that formula again, I think it was like one ounce of water, half a teaspoon, and then to mix it and use it as a nasal spray. Do you still recommend that? Uh, yes, I do. But what you just said was too strong. Now, dilute oh. providone iodine, the key thing to remember is that um, the iodine is that concentrated brown iodine you can buy on Amazon or in the store. Uh, you need just about 5 to 10 drops in a standard spray bottle or no more than half a teaspoon in a, in a shot glass of water. Uh, don't make it too strong because it'll sting. Uh, put a pinch of salt in it. It should be very comfortable. Uh, squirt it up in the nose, sniff it back, and then spit it out. Do it twice on each side. Again, if it stings or it hurts, it's too strong, pour out half of it and dilute it in water and make it comfortable. Hmm. Thank you, Thank Jimmy. you very much. Thank you. Uh, let's see, we've got uh, Dale next. Hi, Dale. Dale and Linden yeah. Station, you're on the air. Hi. Um, recently, a group of us presented to our health board to uh, appeal to them to stop giving the COVID shot. And there's a doctor on the board, and his response was, uh, yeah, on, on, on a little side thing, he said, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin um, are not antivirals. And he said, uh, the body of evidence is now in that those are ineffective against the shot. How would you respond to him? There haven't been inconclusive large clinical trials. They would take about 20,000 patients in a trial, and, and that hasn't been done for hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or Paxlovid or any drug at this point in time. Ivermectin has a roughly 60 supportive randomized trials. Hydroxychloroquine, it's, it's well over 100, 300 studies in total. Uh, both drugs have signals of benefit, acceptable safety. Uh, no drug has had a sufficient body of evidence to, quote, exclude its effects. So uh, I think that doctor is being dismissive. Uh, both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, because they have positive data, they're in government guidelines and non-government organization protocols in dozens and dozens of countries worldwide. Wow. Wow. Thank you for the call. Uh, let's see. Next, we have Holly. Uh, hi, Holly. You're on the air. Hello, Brother Jim. God bless you. And um, I just wanted to ask real quick, um, I realize that this is anecdotal, and I've noticed, Dr. McCullough, that you are very cautious about your wording and the things that you will uh, discuss if it hasn't been proven through via clinical studies and um, published in medical journals. But when we talk about the blood transfusions, it seems like there are a lot of case reports. Uh, if, for instance, just recently, the little infant baby that died as a re- possibly um, as a result of receiving vaccine-tainted blood, and the, the baby had a 95% survival, survivable congenital heart defect, anemia, so it was getting the blood transfusion, and the hospital refused to give blood that a church member had donated. Um, And the baby turned yellow, and its veins turned black, and um, it just, and then they had a blood clot all the way from the knee to the heart. So I realize that you said that there isn't any evidence thus far. Is that because there hasn't been any research done, there haven't been any trials done so far, or is it just something that you just don't believe could be possible per your medical research? Thank you, Holly. It's, it's, I, I do believe it's possible. It's, it's just that it hasn't come out in the peer-reviewed literature. Now, if that baby uh, you know, underwent an autopsy and spike protein was found in the blood clot, the messenger RNA was found in the baby, 
then we would have a clear-cut case that that baby did get tainted blood. Um, but sooner or later, there's going to be have to be such a case that's described and published so we can rely on it. Hmm. Right now, it's conjecture. We don't know that due to the blood the baby got could have been perfectly you know, safe blood. It was just mismatched on a different antigen. It was, it was patient died of a transfusion reaction, which has happened before COVID. So I'm not ruling it out. I, I just think at this point in time, we should, uh, you, you know, be cautious. In a case like this, uh, the parent should push for an autopsy for sure. Thank you for the call. Etta's next, Finley, Ohio. You're on the air. Hello, Brother Jim and uh, Dr. McCullough. I appreciate you taking my call, and uh, I listen to you every day, brother, and I really appreciate your program. But my question is, as I got, it'll be two years since I got the second dose of that Moderna shot in May. This May, coming up in May, it'll mm-hmm. be two years. And uh, I definitely am not taking any boosters or anything like that. And, I, you know, I was hopeful that the um, spike proteins after a while would leave your body. I listened to you several months ago, and at that time you thought it was possible, but when I understand it now, you're saying it's not possible? You know, I can't tell. I'm just a bit concerned of people developing late complications now. I was a bit spooked by two ladies in my clinic, you know, 18 months after the shot getting blood clots. Uh, we don't know. Uh, Bruce Patterson at Incel DX, he's a former professor at Stanford Northwestern, He's shown the spike protein in the body for at least 15 months. That's after the infection. And what he's telling me after the vaccine, you even have more spike protein than the infection. So right now, I think we should play it safe and consider it long-lasting. I think, you know, in my patients who are two years after these shots, nothing's happened. The way I'm behaving is it's water under the bridge, that they're fine, and we go about our lives and without any worry. I think that would apply to you. Thank you for your call here today as well, and uh, we apologize to others. We're down to less than 30 seconds in the broadcast here. Any thought you'd like to leave with the listeners, Dr. McCullough? I just invite everybody to follow me. Uh, go to my website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. It gives you links everywhere. I'm very active on Twitter. I have one of the biggest doctor followings on Twitter, True Social, Getter, Telegram. Go to America Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report. Tune in every Saturday and Sunday, and then get your questions answered on Wednesday on America Out Loud, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Great. Thank you, Dr. McCullough, for being with us here today. And again, that main website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. Well, friends, we thank you for joining us here today on Crosstalk to keep you informed on critical issues of our time. We trust the Lord might richly bless you. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet from BCY America. Views expressed may or may not be those of this station. For a CD of today's program, send a donation of $6 or more to VCY Tape Ministry, 3434 West Kilbourne Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53208. Or download by RSS or podcast from CrosstalkAmerica.com. And join us again for Crosstalk. Crosstalk.